What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Bud. I'm Barton Simmons with Bud Elliott, and we've got more Big Ten. It's a big Big Ten and a big Big Ten game canceled. Wisconsin and Nebraska no longer. Um, as we record this, Chris Hummer is punching out a column about how the Big Ten is basically uh, screwed to a certain. I think that's going to be the gist of his his column because. I don't know how the hell you're supposed to have a season with uh, eight games, no bye week, 21-day quarantine if you get COVID, and 5% of the roster affected uh, necessitates a seven-day shutdown. Those are pretty restrictive. Um, so, you know, the first the first uh, indication of some of the challenges of the Big Ten is popping this weekend with a uh, top 10 ranked, top 15 ranked, I'm not sure what they're ranked, Wisconsin team hanging it up. Uh, but uh, we got a lot of stuff that we'll be talking about today, mainly in preparation for the weekend. But what you got, man? How you doing? Doing well, man. Bought a uh, bought a new TV and uh, hung that thing up last night just in time uh, to see the Rays lose to the Dodgers and lose the World Series. So that sucked. But uh, you know, it, it still looks pretty nice. I, our old TV finally went, or I thought it went, and then I flipped it back on after I received the new TV and uh, it worked fine. But it's like, well, I'm not going to take this thing back to the store. So how how big how big are we we rocking here? Uh, went went 75, and uh, that's 75. That's dude, pretty strong. Yeah, yeah I, I was I was telling my wife, I was like, babe, we really could have gone 82, and she's looking at me like I'm a crazy person. And I was I, I was kind of joking that I just I, you know, I kept playing the bit up and just to see if she, yeah, she didn't bite. She's like, no, you're you're insane. Just, feel, just feeling her out for the next upgrade, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, I so. I'm interested to see a lot of these games this weekend. We're going to have to substitute one in our in our Barton and Bud preview for uh, for Wisconsin Nebraska. That was a line that was crashing. By the way, it started out at like I think 12 ish and then dropped down to to three before the game was was eventually pulled. But I was anxious to ride Wisconsin because everyone you know they're down to you know the fourth string quarterback and what they're all, how they're going to generate any yards on offense. I was starting to like my chances. Like if you got Wisconsin, yep. um, you know, laying, if you got uh, Nebraska catching like double digits, then congratulations. But once that started ticking down, the lower it got, the more I liked Wisconsin just being resourceful enough to piece together a game plan with whoever they're going to put a quarterback and find a way to win. So um, missed opportunity there. I, I was just waiting it out. I was like, are, are we going to get Wisconsin as a dog here or, or as like a pick? I mean, that would be... That would be, I, I think, pretty good value. I, I don't, I don't think the drop off between Wolf and Vanderbloom is is really that big. You know, I, I understand the move from obviously Graham Merch to, to the third stringer, but uh, third to fourth string, I mean, what, whatever. So let's go. That, that was always going to be the undercard, though. I think for this week, because even though there's a little bit of shine off this game, we have to start Ohio State at Penn State. It's it's the Kirk Herb Street game. It's it's like the game of the day. One team played very well and won. One team probably deserved to win, but did not because it did a lot of the little things wrong and had some turnovers go against it. I think we should probably start with, with the things that I feel a little more confident in, right? And that's Ohio State's offense and Penn State's defense. Now, Penn State lost Micah Parsons in the offseason season. But that defense still looked really good to me against Indiana. Like that was a misleading final score as far as the number of points allowed. We covered it on the Sunday night recap show. 
I think you said they had like what 170 yards before the final drive. No, no, no. I think if if I'm if my math is right, they had 111 because they ended up with 211, had a 75 yard drive, and had 25 yards in overtime. So 111 yards. Uh, they ended up with 211 on the game uh, before the final drive for Indiana. So I, they can do some things to Ohio State's offense. I think that Nebraska could not. They, they, they have the pass rushers in, in, in Jason Owe and um, uh, the, the other dude on the other side. Shocker Tony. Yeah. Like, they, they have guys who can get after it up front. They're not going to play a bunch of soft umbrella stuff, I don't think, like, like Nebraska did. I, I think they'll get up there and challenge the Ohio State receivers, you know, some. When, when Nebraska tried to play man, it was the, – the, the space they had on those crossing routes over and over again was, was just huge. I actually put those highlights this morning – on the new flat screen just to watch it again. And, and I was seeing, okay, just, just how was Justin Fields successful here? And he made some really good throws and like that offense passing game wise is in sync, but Nebraska also lacks defensive team speed in my opinion. And I think, I think Penn state, there's a reason they play Ohio state tough. And last year you can tell me they were close to getting blown out and that some turnovers kind of shifted that game to make it closer. And I don't disagree with that, but they still play, they still play Ohio state tougher I think than anybody else in the Eastern Division regularly between James Franklin and Urban Meyer, between James Franklin and Ryan Day. I think if Ohio State is going to pull the blowout here, and and they're they're favored by twelve, as as we record this, which uh, I don't know. I, I I'm not super anxious to lay that. I think Ohio State's offense has to become more two dimensional, and they have to be able to run the football. And even against Nebraska, which is I don't think a very good defense. Their, their backs, they didn't give me anything special. They kind of got what the offensive line got and and nothing more. And then sometimes they actually didn't even get what the offensive line got because they were missing holes. I, I thought there were several runs in that game where, where, where the back was either not on the right track or did not stay on the right track and, and, and just missed his aiming point. Um, so I don't think that they can go and just throw, 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 throw the entire time against Penn State and, and drop 50-plus. They need to have these, these back step up. Yeah, I agree. And I also think one of the intriguing things about this matchup to me, so we know how good Ohio State's wide receivers are. Um, Olave, uh, Garrett Wilson, as good a duo as there is. Um, the young guys are going to start to step up. We saw Jackson, Jackson Smith Jigba had a touchdown. Julian Fleming had a catch. So those guys will keep on getting inserted more into the game plan as the season progresses. I think the thing that maybe is, isn't talked about enough with Penn State and that I believe to be true is I think Penn State has maybe the best defensive backfield in the Big Ten. Um, I, I don't know if I'm an, on an island with that or, or if that's more commonplace, but between Tariq Castro-Fields at one corner, Joey Porter Jr., who's the redshirt freshman, who looked to me very impressive against uh, Indiana last weekend and who was always a guy I felt like whenever it hit for him, whenever he was ready physically, whenever he got on the field and, and I like the upside developmentally was like enormous. And it looks like that's starting to take for him. Jaquan Brisker and, and Lamont Wade at the safety positions, like, and, and that's just sort of the four starters, but they've got a lot of depth, a lot of bodies they can throw in there and five DB, six DB sets, and they can, you know, they can, there's, 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 there's guys, whether it's Keaton Ellis or, you know, I, I don't know, Jonathan Sutherland, like the, there's a lot of guys that are capable within that secondary. And so 
I think that they are equipped and, and because it, it's complemented well with a, a defensive line that can get to the quarterback. So I, ultimately, that's the crux of this challenge to me for Ohio State um, and why Penn State has a chance is because, yeah, we're still and we'll talk about offense and defensive matchups. We're still um, sort of having a lot of questions about what Penn State's capable of offensively and certainly the consistency they're able to present offensively. But defensively, I think, particularly in the Big Ten, I think Ohio State is is the most equipped team to defend this Ohio State team that they will face. With that said, it's going to be fascinating. Like if Ohio State blows it out or if they just, you know, get to 42 or something against this defense, then I mean, good luck the rest of the way, anybody else. Um, whether whether Penn State's collective 11 is the best 11 defense in the con- uh, in the conference, I mean, Wisconsin's got a pretty good case to make as well. I, I just like that defensive backfield. And uh, that, to me, is going to determine whether or not Penn State can actually keep up with this uh, this game by by limiting some of those big plays. I completely agree there. I mean, if if it's not Penn State as far as the best defensive backfield, it, it is Ohio State. Um, and I think you may be able to run on this Penn State defense, but Ohio State's run game didn't look good. I, I Are you concerned they had to run Justin Fields 15 times against Nebraska? Like, that seemed like a lot. And a lot of those were designed. Now, I know a couple of them were quarterback sneaks. I think he had, I think he had two or three sneaks. Uh, so if you pull out those, you're still talking double-digit runs. Uh, for him against Nebraska, I they need to have either Trey Sermon step up. Uh, Crowley's out, obviously, so so he can't be the guy. Well, Master Teague, maybe I I don't know. Like like it doesn't seem like Ohio State has a, a true stud running back right now to make a difference, and they're now, gonna have to play into Penn State's hands. Yeah, they're they're just guys back there. I think at running back, um, and I think that they're good enough. I I, I do sort of anticipate that Ohio State probably was always going to give Justin Fields a better opportunity to run this year because, you know, I mean, I think they've built their depth up a little better than it was last year. I, I think that they there's probably a YOLO um, mentality for a lot of teams this season. Like, look, let's just we – got, we got the best player in college football potentially. Um, let's Let's utilize him. And all his talents, and so I, I don't. I guess I don't know that to be true, but I, I wouldn't surprise me if that was the, the approach they took. But I, I, I agree with your point. I mean, this is a underwhelming rushing attack uh, from the backfield, and it's a really good offensive line. And so it's not as if there is any reason to think that they they shouldn't be able to pick up a lot of yards on the ground in a traditional run game. Uh, so I, I think that you know finding that. And and keeping Justin Fields fresh is probably going to be a worthy balance to try to strike against a defense that's as opportunistic as Penn State's is. So, um, yeah, like that's going to be that's going to be something to watch for sure. And just you know, finding ways for Penn State or Ohio State to stay ahead of the change because look, as good as those wide receivers are, I don't think you want to be in a bunch of third and nines with uh, with that with that secondary. I'm 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 so interested in that matchup because maybe I'm just wrong about that. We've got a one game sample size and Ohio State's receivers might be that good, but um it's a you know balance is probably going to have to be come into play in this one. All right. 
To me, this game kind of feels a little bit like Bama Georgia light. Okay, I, I think Penn State's defense is very good, but I'm, I'm not going to pretend that, that I'm picking Penn State here. I, I'm picking Ohio State, just like I was picking Alabama, because I there's just no way in hell I'm going to pick Sean Clifford to upset a team that has more talent than him and has Justin Fields running the show. So let's go ahead and go to Ohio State's defense and Penn State's offense, because this is really the, the, the wild card side of, of things, I, I think. And if, if Ohio State was was to get beat here, it's probably because they have some sort of defensive letdown in, in, in addition to some surprise turnovers by the Penn State defense. I, so let, let's nitpick Ohio State a little bit if we can, because otherwise it's just going to be a rundown. All right, Ohio State will kill them, and maybe they will. Ohio State's defensive line against Nebraska, honestly, man, it it wasn't great. Their front, like their backers against the run, they, they didn't dominate. I was a little bit perplexed about, about some of the substitution patterns that Ohio State was using. Like they didn't, Harrison for them didn't play much early in the game and then came on later in the game and and looked better. So I don't know. There's obviously nobody at practice at these things. So I don't know specifically uh, why, you know, guys like Harrison weren't playing early in the game. Because I, I would, I think he's one of their most talented guys as an edge rusher and, and a run stopper. And he wasn't in there early. As the game wore on, he got in and they played more. So, like, is that did he miss some time at camp that we don't know about? And and thus they're working him back into the lineup slowly. Is there some kind of you know off field thing? I I just I'm not I'm not saying there is, but there's there's got to be some reason that he's not like starting for them. And I I want to know like is he going to start for them in this game? Or are we going to get fifty or sixty snaps of of him and and the other guys up front who kind of came on later? It was it was weird. Like they didn't. I don't think they had their best guys out early against Nebraska. And Nebraska handled their their dudes who are not known studs fairly well with, with their line. Like Penn State kept the ball for 40 minutes against Indiana. I think they want to try to play keep away here. We know Kirk Soraka loves to run the ball. Like he loves to go deep and, and throw RPO shots deep, but man, he loves to run the ball. That that's how Penn State keeps us close. And so I I have a question like, is Ohio State's defensive line, are they like, you know, 2018 Clemson good? Can can they like can can they be national championship good? I, I there's maybe a little window there. Is 2018 Clemson was that the the loaded defensive line? Yeah, so that that's probably the answer. To that's probably a no. I'm just trying to think about like, or can, can they be LSU 20, 2019 good? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that, that's probably the better comparison. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I um my my eyes told me that ohio state's defense was a little bit softer than would be ideal but i also you know the final score was 52-17 right. and i wasn't going to i wasn't going to sort of lose any sleep over it but i i did as as you were talking i was just sort of looking up some of the the analytics on ohio state's defense and it's it's, it's worse than i expected it's and granted, this is very small sample size. <clears throat> um, There's a one-game sample size relative to the rest of the country, some of which have played, you know, five games, six games. Um, rushing success rate defensively, they're 100th in the country. Um, standard down success rate, 101st in the country. Passing success rate, 97th in the country. Um I mean, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of not great in there. And that's just, maybe that's just a, again, this one game and they played against a Nebraska team that was 
uh, had a good game plan. Was you know still wasn't able to generate many points, but was able to stay ahead of the chains, and and that just kind of worked out for him uh, for Ohio State. But it's it is sort of the type of thing that you you kind of kind of raise your eyebrows at and make sure that you're, um, you know that you're you're, you're acknowledging um, what it what it was last week, and so I. I like so now we got Noah Kane out for Penn State. Journey Brown was already out. We're down to Devin Ford and the two freshmen. I mean, Penn State is going to have to, I think, play keep away to a certain degree. And that's gotta be their game plan to a certain degree. Uh I you know, are you confident in those running backs that they have remaining being able to execute that? And Surely Sean Clifford has got a couple big throws in him and they've got a couple big plays in him in the past game, but that that's, that's ultimately Penn state is still going to want to grind it out. Um, I don't know. Is it, how big of a, how big of a departure at the running back position do you think it is? I, I think it is a, a significant departure. I mean, Noah Kane was a, he's basically a success rate back. He's not an explosive runner. He's not a game breaker, but yeah. he, but he is really good at getting like what the line blocks him plus two. You know, and 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 falling forward, he's always keeping them head of the chains. I, I think the game against Iowa uh, last year or two years ago is he? A, he's a sophomore. Try to remember what, what? Yeah, yeah, he's sophomore. So the year they played at Iowa it had to be last year. Then when when he kept them ahead of the chains basically the entire time, like that's a good example of to me of what he brings to that offense against a, a quality defense like in Iowa. Um, so to your point about the success rate stuff, just to give some the, the listeners a, a, a point of reference here. We've seen how Alabama's defense has got ripped up at times this year. Okay, a Alabama's success rate allowed on standard downs, forty percent. Ohio State, seventy percent. I mean, that's a like that's a big deal. Now, Nebraska not good in pass pro. Obviously, Taylor Martinez not a great thrower of the football, and Nebraska did not have Omar Manning as we noted. Once Ohio State got Nebraska to a passing down, it was night night termite. But when Nebraska was able to stay ahead of the chains, they could throw play action. They, you know, they, they tried to hit some shots. Ohio State did not actually allow the deep shots. This is the recipe for Penn State is to stay ahead of the chains because all the RPO stuff that Kirk Soraka likes to do is not effective on third and nine. I mean, you can RPO me all you want. I'm still just going after the passer. Cool? All right. I think this has to be a big Sean Clifford running game to, to offset. Like, like if this is the game, if, if, if it takes 20 carries from him, He's not an NFL guy anyway. Like, if I'm James Franklin, I'm, I'm dialing that up. I'm, I'm having Sean Clifford take off a lot, try to stay ahead of the chains and and play some stuff, you know, kind of outside the context of the offense. There, they've got to try to find a way to get explosive plays, man. Yeah, and that's and and you know what, their their wide receivers, whether it's Jahan Dotson, um, I, I think that I do think Pat Fryermuth is a is a problem, but he's you know to this point he's been more of a get you a first down, not get you a touchdown toward a guy. And um, so at some point they've got to lean in a little bit there. Maybe Parker Washington, a true freshman who's starting can, I mean, I, we've seen in other places that have played some, you know, more body work where freshmen have started to emerge the more that they've experienced the game and more, the more they've, they've had an opportunity to get in. So maybe that starts to happen with Parker Washington. I don't know. I will say we, we probably, I think that was a, I like the way you framed phrased that that Noah Kane is sort of a success rate back. Um, Journey Brown 
was was sort of whatever everything you need because he's got the big playability. He's super athletic. Like they're missing the Saquon Barkley there for their offense in Journey Brown. Noah Kane is their is their first down machine. They're they're ahead of the chains machine. They're on schedule guy. I think that Kevon Lee, the true freshman, might be their best option to be a, a you know a stay on schedule back in this game. So I, I do wonder if you see a lot of the true freshmen at running back this, this week, Devin Ford, a little more of the big play potential. Cause I Holmes is the other back in that backfield. And um, he's a little more versatile than those guys, but you know, it sounds like maybe just Kevon Lee's the one that seems to be emerging the most. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if their game plan doesn't change a whole lot, but I wonder if the, the uh, carries and the, the workload is sort of shifted over to the true freshman a little bit. Do you know anything about about their their, their other tight ends? Because I, in in listening to the uh, the, the their studs, I would go multiple tight ends here a lot if I'm Penn State. I, I know Soraka was able to do that some at at at, uh, at Minnesota. In listening to the Bucknuts Morning Five podcast, uh, which I listen to every, every morning, man, I got to tell you, like they those guys who, who cover Ohio State, they love that secondary. I mean, Seven Banks and Sean Wade and those dudes are locked down, and they have depth there in the secondary. They are not real impressed so far with, with the front seven. I think one of your goals of your Penn State is to make Ohio State play a front seven and not a front six and, and make them stay in personnel packages that are not well-suited to them. Um, so I, I would try to go multi-tight ends as, as much as I can here, which can also help your run game. Yeah, Penn State's tight end room is loaded. Um, Farmer's the guy, but Brennan's strange. And then That's they've right. got okay. a couple young guys that are that are going to be really good. I don't know if they're ready or not, but um, that would be, uh, yeah, I, I like that. I like that. We'll see if that we'll see if that happens. Uh, Ohio State didn't really allow anything explosive through the air against Nebraska. Nebraska is not a super explosive passing offense anyway. But worth noting that, uh, ooh, uh, Penn State didn't do anything explosive either. Uh, they had a two percent. A marginal explosiveness hedge at Indiana to the air. That's really not going to get it done. Um, ball control, turnovers, ugly, ugly, ugly. That's your shot, Lance. I mean, that's that's kind of it, I think. Um, you want to move on to Texas, Oklahoma State? Yeah, I mean, we went, what do we go, 15, 20 minutes on that? But I, I feel like that's that's the game of the week. That It's the game of the year in the Big Ten. Might, might as well go deep. This actually, as Twitter reminds us here, this Texas-Oklahoma State game was my preseason Big 12 pick against yours. And I, I got to say, to this right. point, you're, lo- you're looking better than I am here. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, this is the type of game, though, where, um, I mean, look, nothing would shock me. And I, I think Oklahoma State is – it's just the question is, is just kind of like how – how much how much confidence has Texas built in a win over Baylor? I didn't watch a lot of that game, but and it didn't seem like it was a, a dominating affair. More of just uh, they kind of took care of business, and Baylor maybe um, wasn't wasn't quite up for the task. But I, I still think you're going to a. I still think this is one of those games. Where like, what's the what's the unit that's the best on the field? And how many times have we say this when uh, in a in a Texas versus Oklahoma State game where the best unit on that field would be an Oklahoma State defense. But that, that's the way I feel in this game. And I still think that the Texas's offense 
Like Ellinger's been a little bit less accurate and consistent than usual. Their run game, like inexplainably, is continues to be absent. Um, their wide receivers, to me, are have been very average. Like I don't see them creating a lot of separation unless they're just schemed open. Um, so I, I still have a, I still have, I still have a lot of questions about Texas, and I think Spencer Sanders is, 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 is very turnover um, uh, prone. Prone, yeah. There you go. Turnover prone. Um, but I, I think that as long as he just doesn't end the disaster, like I, I still, I still think that Oklahoma State knows what it is a little bit more on offense. Yeah, I, I think I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I do think Texas defense is improving some week to week, but at the same time, guys, like I told you about Michigan State, Baylor's offense is sneaky bad. Like they are really. I, I thought Larry Fedora there would go up tempo, would, would have that thing continuing to be solid, and they have taken a big step back from where they were last year. They, they really can't throw the ball. Their run game is not good, and on top of that, Dave Aranda kneecaps his own team by doing things like punting from the opponent 30-yard line for a touchback. So nice nice 10-yard net there in exchange for not having a possession. Um, now his running back said, thanks, coach, and just opted out. So this is, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next year. We're, 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 we're not into this. And yet, and yet, this Oklahoma State, this, this betting line for this game, I took Oklahoma State at three. I, I thought the line should have been more about six. It's still only three and a half, man. Like Vegas is not buying in on Oklahoma State yet, and, and I, I maybe they maybe they don't think Spencer Sanders is that much of an upgrade, but I I think he, he I think he is an upgrade. I think I think his legs are an upgrade. They didn't have to run him, you know, a, a ton against uh, against Iowa State. Now part of that's probably because he's coming off injury. Maybe they don't want to risk it. But Texas this year, if you look at uh, defensively what what they've done poorly. There's a lot, okay? There is a lot, but they have given up explosive runs. Uh, that's kind of the one thing that stands out in bright red on their stat sheet. Chuba Hubbard and Spencer Sanders in the run game here, I I trust to, to move the ball on Texas. Now, maybe this is the game that Oklahoma State's defense gets tested some. I mean, they, they, they really haven't – nobody's got them so far at all they, they've been lights out I, I put Jim Knowles their DC as my as my coordinator of the year pick in uh in, in our 24-7 sports mid-year awards that we published today although Barry Odom's probably a better choice I, I that slipped my mind I know a lot of guys had him and Sarkeesian at Bama's good too but like I I think Oklahoma State is is a, a decently good enough football team to, to win this game I, I think they should be favored by a little bit more here so I'm, I'm riding with the pokes and uh we do have a couple Tom Herman hot seat questions. Do, do you think these are fair? I, I think it's also entirely possible that Texas, if they win this, they could go on a run. You know, they they next games, West Virginia at Kansas, host Iowa State at Kansas State. If 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 Tom Herman gets this, they could easily finish on a six game winning streak. Yeah, which is like such is the nature of the Big Twelve. And the nature of Tom Herman, really. I mean, he's just like he's a little bit of the Gus Malzahn of the Big Twelve, um, just teetering on national championship contention and uh, hot seat by like a game by game basis. I think it's fair to have him on the hot seat. I think it's fair to want more. 
I think it's, I think he's been, uh, like there's something to be said for being likable. Um, and, and I think the fan, the fan base doesn't seem that anxious to like grant him a whole lot of mercy and grace. I think because he's just, he's just a little bit, um, I don't Never know go what with the this. word is, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I know like, what the word is, but, but we were, it's a CBS, you know, like, like that's our parent company. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's so, but like, I mean, look, if you're and, and, and he could, like you said, he could sit here and, and rattle some wins off and get him in the big 12 championship game and get him a big 12 championship. And that's all stuff is well within the reason, reason. And then he is, he's very clearly off the hot seat, but, um, you know, as as long as the jump continues to to miss Texas, I mean, he's just got he's going to have to deal with that. Um, the expectations are high when you take a job like that. It's also not just the record; it's it's how they look in some of these games. You know, if if they were playing well, it, this gets back to a question that that we got on on Twitter a couple of weeks back about how how come like when Iowa State and TCU and to some extent Oklahoma State when, when they're good or when they're on top of the Big 12, they don't get the credit. And the answer typically is that they have really not, with the exception of that Oklahoma State team that, that you know 2011, which arguably should have played for the national title, when those teams are on top of the Big 12, it is generally not because that they are nationally elite teams. It's because either Oklahoma or Texas are down. Similar, to honestly, to how like Boston College and Virginia Tech were in the mid-2000s and that one year at Wake Forest, in the ACC, people out there have enough common sense to realize, huh, are the Hokies and Eagles and Demon Deacons really dominant teams? Or is there some major dysfunction going on at Clemson, Miami, Florida State, the teams that we know have the, the ability to sign the, the super elite athletes? And there, there's a little bit of that going on in the Big 12, I think, this year, but also in years in which some of those other teams get off to a hot start. And people are smart enough to realize all right, Texas is not playing to its potential to its ability to get talent. And maybe there's some bigger issues there. Gosh, honestly, at A&M too sometimes with their ability to quote-unquote get talent and yet they don't traditionally win, I mean, over like 100 years of data like, like we think maybe they should. Uh, but I, I think it's it's how they look sometimes, man. Just the It just looks poorly coached at times. Um, you know, it, it's... Sloppy. I also, like, do you go get Urban Meyer? That's the problem. If you can get Urban Meyer, hell yeah, like hot seat him up. But you're you are still. I mean, we thought Tom Herman was that dude when he was hired, and so you always have to measure these conversations with the the you know the counterbalance of well, who who can you get? Um, and so I don't I don't know who they get if they don't get Urban Meyer, and I don't know who you get that you're confident is is the right hire if you don't get Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is a no-brainer. Urban Meyer is a hit. Urban Meyer will be successful. Urban Meyer will get Texas where it hadn't been. Like Urban Meyer is going to bring consistency and discipline and and all that sort of stuff. I mean, he's done it every other stop. So, um, but but aside, but he's the only no doubter. I agree. I mean, or, or, or we talk about Texas. Why is Texas such such a good job? And there are negatives about it, right? You got to you got to deal with a lot of powerful people who think they're even more powerful. Than they are. You got to kiss a lot of ass. You, you got you know you got to kiss a lot of babies. It, it, but Urban Meyer is a guy who is a resource hound and a resource maximizer, much like Nick Saban. He's going to come in and demand a whole lot. He's not going to take a job that doesn't have elite level resources, and 
he generally has very good results wherever he goes. Now, sometimes when he leaves, you know, Florida didn't work out great. Ohio State is working out awesome. Utah actually worked out really well. So you know, there's the narrative out there that when he leaves, the, the place is a mess. When he leaves, it's not always super clean, but like two of the last three jobs he's had, he left him in good hands. So I, I, I yeah, if you go get a Meyer, cool, but I just don't know who else is out there that you really want to get unless you're thinking NFL. Is is there is there literally a person out there that you think of when you think of that job other than Urban? There's really not, man. Like 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 who would you like there's not an obvious hire, is there? Other not, than Urban. Not off the top of my head. Now, there are some hires maybe I could be talked into if somebody wants to make that case and say, okay, this this fits, this guy's, you know, does this and this. Maybe there is an NFL guy. Um, you know, I hell Joe Brady, who I don't think would 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 be a, a fit because he doesn't I don't think he has that cachet and the ability to deal with all his boosters and people there. I do think text is the job that you you kind of need a name or someone who who has the track record to say, Hey, you know what? I I got this. Shut up. And I don't know that, that one of these like hotshot coordinator types has the ability. And yet, if you hindsight this thing, man, Tom Herman was an excellent fit. He he you know, he didn't play at Texas, but but he, he was a coach at Texas before. He had coached under Urban Meyer as a national championship coordinator. So you had the play calling pedigree, you, you had the understanding X and O pedigree, and then you also had him actually managing and running a program at Houston and maximizing that. So like he had the best of both worlds, head coach experience and and quality coordinator experience in recruiting at the highest level. And it still hasn't worked out, which I think is a good example of why the, these things are are crapshoots. Do you uh do you have an obvious candidate? No, I don't. But I, I also think maybe the best candidate at Texas isn't an obvious candidate anymore. Like it's time to get away from the obvious candidates. It, I think it might be time if a Texas if a Texas move were to be made, I think it might be time for them to go like a Matt Rule type. You know what I mean? Like they've gone the no doubt, you know, big OC, like the, oh, the, like Charlie Strong was a, was a hot name too. Like they, I, I think you, I think you need to like look under the hood and make sure you're getting someone that's a builder of culture, a builder of, of like, um, that, that. Like, I think that's the most important part is like creating a culture, creating an environment there as opposed like you should be able to recruit well enough. Um, and so it's a little bit like um, kind of what like what 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 uh, Florida needed to go towards is, you know, because they've they sort of were had a couple whiffs there. And I think Dan Mullen was a good hire because you just I don't know. You just, you know, he's going to be able to handle the, like, there's like a, there's, there's a, there's an element that, you know, Dan Mullen is going to be very competent in handling. And, um, and, and that was an important element. Like that was the team building. That was the, 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 the on-field product. And I just think Texas has, they've been missing on that for some, for some reason. The only counter I would make to that. And I agree. I think if you, if you let Texas, if you if Texas will Texas give that guy time? Will they will they give him space to do it? No, they may not. And and I don't even I'm not even confident in that profile. I just would like to see it a little bit. Like I, you may be right. Like you might have to just go hire just big balls McGee who just can go and and say f you to all the boosters and like or or shake all the hands or whatever it is. Whatever like the booster personality you have to have over there to be able to pull all the levers and get stuff done. 
maybe that's what it is. Um, maybe you just need the the big persona, but man, it would be fun to see someone that's like a, a, a little more nuanced in the way they want to build a program, try to get it done there. I mean, like 10 years ago, Gary Patterson. I, I, I think easily could have done it. Now, granted, I mean, he's, he's had struggles at TCU recently. I think it's just, I think it's hard to maintain the level they were at at, at a program like TCU long-term. But I, that this is a fascinating discussion, man. We, we, we actually, I think, had three or four iTunes questions about Tom Herman and their Meyer and, and, you know, what would you go get? I I would probably sit tight unless I had somebody who I really liked. But it is worth noting, Chris Del Conte, their AD, did not hire him. He inherited them. So there's going to be no, and there's going to be Texas is actually the type of team that could make a hire this cycle if they found, if they had someone they like, because there's no competition this cycle. It's going to be a very slow coaching carousel. And Texas is really the only big domino looming. So uh, that, 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 that's an interesting, um, an interesting element in all this is just sort of the, the opportunity to be the only team shopping. A domino that would be too, because that means some some team whose coach is getting taken now has a bunch of buyout money to, to go buy out somebody else's coach. Like that that that's how that's how it happens here. Is is if one of those big schools, really big schools like a Herman, you know, makes a move, uh, that would be like would they go in conference and, and get a Matt Campbell? I, I I just I don't know. I I don't know if I see that or not. Is that big enough for them? I think the guy knows how to build a program. Iowa State punches above its weight class. I mean, we had we had Chris Hummer ready to write a story about how, like, if Iowa State had beaten Oklahoma State last week, it's a little look behind the curtain. Ohio, Iowa State had not beaten or had not won a conference, I believe, outright since 1913. And I, I don't even know which conference it was. You, you got to look up on Wikipedia. I mean, you're talking about sustained success above and beyond about 100 years of history and, and maximizing program program there at Iowa State. Like, yeah. That would make sense to me. I just don't know if that's big enough and flashy enough for them. Maybe it is. Yeah. Or maybe Herman turns uh, it around. Um. Yeah, we'll see. I I think I think a Matt Campbell ish would be fun to fun experiment at Texas, but I'm not sure they're ready to to have that sort of uh, engage in that sort of experiment either. All right. So you got like what five minutes for radio? You want to go? Uh, you want to go LSU Auburn in five? Uh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So kind of no, no huddle portion here. We had to substitute in somebody for the Wisconsin-Nebraska game. And we chose LSU-Auburn because there are some interesting uh, injury situations here. Both these teams are, I don't know if a crossroads, but this is certainly an important game. Uh, it, if you win this game, it keeps you in the race to be second in the SEC West, which I think is important that, you know, you can say, okay, we finished second to Bama. It's a little more embarrassing if you finish second to like AM or Auburn or LSU this year. If you lose this game, Chance you go four and six is actually, you know, decently high. Uh, so, pretty important ball game here. Two notes that that, that, that I want to spit out, and then and just you go from here. It probably is going to be TJ Finley again for LSU. I saw it reported today on Twitter, multiple spots that uh, Miles Brennan has not practiced yet this week for LSU and is not expected to go with that abdominal injury. And then uh, Auburn, which had offensive line issues to start start the year. They had to go out and take a bunch of transfers. Brandon Council, the offensive ta- or offensive guard or tackle, I forgot, uh, who they got from, from Akron, he was starting for them, and now he's out for the year. Auburn is sneaky thin as far as quality defensive linemen right now. 
Can Finley keep the magic going? Can Auburn block well enough to to create give, give Bo Nix some time to create some explosive plays against LSU's defense? That, that's those are kind of the two angles I'm watching for. Fortunately, they're going up against an LSU defense that hadn't done much stopping of anybody lately. Even against South Carolina, who they they won, they ended up winning fairly handily against. But they they were South Carolina moved the ball. They were they were pretty effective and efficient throughout the day and just getting yards um so i think did you see siaki aika from lsu defense lineman is is up is uh transferring he is yeah so that hit the uh that hit our slack room um here a few minutes ago i i, so, I, I snoozed the notifications on slack during the pod maybe i shouldn't um, no i mean it's uh you're probably a little bit more focused in your in your talking points than I am because I've, I've I'm scattered. But but that's that's a pretty big one um, for a defensive line that wasn't like it's almost one for one. Okay, Brandon Council's out. Well, Siaki Yike is out for LSU too. I don't know who wins on that one. So um, he was getting a lot of snaps for them, wasn't he? Yeah, he was one of. I just did so. I just did a story on LSU today on their their you know their underclassmen, the freshmen specifically. And the kind of impact they're making is Yaki Yaika was one of their top players, according to PFF. Um, but that is sort of the point I would make on LSU is this season is all kind of gravy. It's when you look at the way the, the freshman class is starting to pop, TJ Finley having a competent day, downright good day. Forget competent. I mean, he, he was good. Um, BJ Ozilari, three sacks against South Carolina. Uh, Eric Gilbert, their number two leading receiver on the year. Uh, um, their cornerback Elias Ricks is got three interceptions in four games, one return for a touchdown. He's their top defensive, uh, or like Ozilari and Ricks are their currently their top two graded defenders according to PFF. Uh, th- this is a team that reloaded really effectively. It's just it just didn't have a chance to sort of onboard those guys in the spring and summer. It's doing it right now, and so. I think this team is going to get a lot better as the season progresses and whatever the 2020 schedule or record ends up looking like it's, it's going to produce, I think really strong results for that 2021 season. So this is the next test in that, but you got to like what you've seen to this point from the underclassmen. I agree. And uh, man, if Auburn goes out there and loses to a bunch of true freshmen from LSU, those Auburn fans are going to go nuts. Like losing a home game to a bunch of true freshmen, that's that that's not a great recipe for Gus. Although, as our Brandon Marcello noted, his buyout's $21.5 million with half due like immediately. So that's probably not going to happen there at Auburn. Like that's that's kind of a step above even, even Auburn crazy, paying a $20 million buyout in, in a pandemic. But I'm excited to see this, dude. And this is kind of the... If you think Ed Orgeron is Gene Chizik and is a one-year wonder guy, this is kind of your counter to that. Hey, you know what? Like there weren't a whole lot of signs that Gene Chizik was building something, you know, to now granted, I mean, Gus did take them to the national title in year two with a lot of Chizik's guys, but it wasn't obvious at the time. Here it's obvious that LSU actually is being able to reload some matchup wise in this game, man, Seth Williams against, uh, Oh gosh, uh, Stingley. Yeah, that's going to be really, really interesting. Like, like can can the number two and three guys for Auburn step up on the outside against Ricks and them? 
can can you throw the ball underneath on, on LSU? I think he can. I'm excited to watch this one. Yeah, and I'm curious. I'm, I'm, my my theory on true freshman quarterbacks that ball out in the first start and come back down to earth in the second start is going to be tested this week uh, because LSU's offense has been pretty bulletproof. And uh, TJ Finley sure did look under control last game. So I'm anxious to see whether game two for the for the fish is going to be, uh, I don't know, how it's going to look. Ditto. All right, man. Uh, well, after this ad break, we're going to come back, maybe talk a little recruiting trends, take a couple mailbag questions. We, we got a bunch of good mailbag questions. So we're we're going to dive in to a couple that, that I think are relevant for for everybody and, and not just uh, not just one team and, and maybe talk about a little couple little trends we're watching. Maybe we'll shelve that. Just depends on uh, on how much time we have left in the show. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, man. Welcome back. So, because one of our goals on this show is to merge recruiting and football, and I'd like to make sure we still talk recruiting during football season, let's just go ahead and fill the listeners in on some stuff we're watching here at Twenty Four Seven Sports. Uh, I know one of the things I'm watching is some of these really like blue chip schools are coming around on some of the offers that were thrown out by some of the you know lesser blue chip type schools and deciding that some of these three stars who those schools offered earlier in the process, eh, maybe, maybe they're actually a little bit better than they realize. Maybe they're they're pulling up some of that, uh, as I'm sure you get sent a lot of these, I do as well, the, these, these mid-season huddle highlight tapes from these guys' senior years. And I'm all too happy to get them now because we didn't have camp season for the most part this this summer, or not a normal one at least. So I'm, I'm excited to watch as much as I can. And it looks like some of these college staffs are, are watching and making decisions as well on this because we, we've seen a couple flips. We've seen a couple potential flips here in the last couple of days. Yeah, I thought the shape Jay Dixon, who's one of our studs on the boots on the ground uh, at the LSU site, wrote a story on uh, LSU. We talked about LSU, all the young guys that are playing right now um, and and doing well. And uh, Shay dug in a little bit on sort of what LSU's done and the success they've had recruiting three stars, particularly in state three stars. And it's they've really crushed it, and it kind of you know ironically, LSU. I feel like like they will chase rankings. That that's like Ed Orgeron. I think pays attention to rankings. He wants the number one class. Um, Did you and, read Meat Market? Yeah, yeah. Like he's they're, they're they don't he don't even hide from it. So I, in in some cases, like they, I feel like they'll even take guys that are higher rated, um, that sometimes are not great takes especially early in the process and they'll drop them or whatever. But, um, but one thing that is counter to that, that you can't argue with is their success rate, taking the three-star guys. Um, because when they do reach on a guy that isn't, doesn't have the offer list, doesn't have the, um, the pedigree, the profile, they have a really strong hit rate. Uh, especially again, for those in-state guys, like there's a reason that they're taking them and uh, Shea goes into it, but it's, it's, you know, a lot of NFL guys, first round draft picks um, guys that have started, like those guys typically contribute. 
Um, so with that said, I mean, it's kind of interesting. You know, they flipped a, a kid, Matthew Langlois, from, who's an in-state kid who was committed to Kansas State. Uh, three-star guy, high three-star, but three-star nonetheless. Um, and he is, uh, he's a guy that is, is, is now committed to LSU. And, you know, maybe people wouldn't be that excited about a Kansas State guy, but I think Shea's point is, is well taken that, well, you should be excited because when LSU, you know, goes against the grain, it's pretty good, pretty good track record. The other one that they've now offered is this kid, Jack Betch, who is committed to Vanderbilt, who I know Vanderbilt is super high on or has been. Uh, and now, yeah, I guess LSU is, tends to agree. Another guy, an in-state wide receiver that they've now, now, now are pushing for. So just kind of an interesting sum to follow. Like I, I always, it's, 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 it's always interesting when the powerhouse programs, the blue bloods of the blue bloods extends the offers to the three stars and three stars are great players. Three, three stars we acknowledge can be NFL guys, but those are the programs that don't typically have to dip into that pool of guys with questions. Like they can typically recruit just the guys to check every box um, resoundingly. And uh, so it's always fun to sort of dig in and see if you can sort of see what they're seeing when they make an offer to a guy that may not have that same profile. What, one thing I always did before I worked for 24-7 and, and now – now that we actually have access to the database and I, I have access to Chad Carson's DMs, uh, I'm I'm going to basically, I always like to track, okay, the top targets and the flips down the stretch that the that the big boys were signing. Who are they committed to, right? Like, like which, which schools at the lower levels are doing a good job of offering these guys, of identifying them early and of knowing which ones uh, for which to press for commitment, even if that commitment didn't ultimately hold as in, in these cases it didn't or, or probably won't. Um, because that, that's always interesting to me. Kansas State, I, I think, is a is a good offering staff, a good evaluation staff. Minnesota has been one, and to his credit, PJ Fleck actually has done a really good job holding on to guys down the stretch, like Rashad Bateman, who I know Georgia and Florida State like, like the whole heck of a lot in, in December of of 2018. Um, guys like that, I, I, and there was one more, Boston College. On the defensive side of the ball, I think is doing a really good job. I'm watching their commitment list. We're seeing more guys pop up who they've offered that are suddenly kind of picking up either interest or you're seeing our, our 24/7 sports guys write stories. Hey, here's a guy that uh, you know this staff at whatever big time SEC school is uh, is monitoring, right? Uh, and and might get an offer, which is generally a precursor article to has been offered. You know, just have, haven't done it quite yet. That's something I intend to do even more now that, that I can ask Chad. Hey, like. Guys who committed to, let's say, top 10 recruiting classes who were previously committed elsewhere, where were they committed and when? That, that's something I'm going to take a look at after signing day this year. I think it's going to be fascinating. So we got a – we going mailbag? Let's, let's, yeah, let's end on this mailbag. We got two questions here that I picked out that are kind of kind of generic, so I think everybody might be interested. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this first one to you. This is from Dylan Okenfuss. Listener question. I would like to hear a step-by-step breakdown of how Bud goes through a box score in order to update his power rankings, including which sites box scores you use would be helpful as well. It's kind of an overwhelming process to me. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, first of all, I want to say that I absolutely hate the uh, the, the one product that these semi schools are going to, uh, what's it called, Sidearm, I believe, uh, for their box scores. It's 
more difficult for me to navigate. I, I like to use stat broadcast uh, personally. I, I, that's something that most schools make free. I just go to statbroadcast.com and, and pick out whichever uh, whichever team you want to look at at their box score. Some of the schools password protected, including some weird schools. And I'm like, really? Like how many people are trying to illicitly access your, your stat broadcast, Bowling Green? I mean, this is, this is kind of silly. Uh, but I anyway, I had the master password, so I'm not really concerned about that. What I try to do is I start with the score, and then the first thing I check out is when did, when did, were the points scored in the game, just to try to get a feel for when it entered garbage time. Bill Connolly's definition of garbage time, who you know, good friend of mine, worked with him for a decade, uh, 24 points in the fourth quarter, 28 in third, I think 38 in the first half, uh, is generally when the game is considered garbage time. And then after that point, teams start acting and behaving differently as far as like attempting to come back in the game, that type of thing. So that generally... Stats that are accrued after that point are kind of noisy and oftentimes detrimental to your actual evaluation of the game. Um, then I, I, I take a look at, at how the points were scored. So did they come on big plays? Did they come via execution in the red zone? Most importantly, did they come on short fields or turnovers or, or special team scores? I, I try to look for things that are more repeatable skill than things that are heavily luck-based. Luck we know turnovers have a huge luck component. Scoring on turnovers, like actually taking them back, pick sixes, fumble sixes, have an even bigger luck rate uh, than, than do just you know creating turnovers. And I think there's some skill in creating turnovers. It's just not – I don't think it's as repeatable as, as coaches wish it was. Otherwise, everybody would do it, and you would see the best teams always at the very top in terms of, of creating turnovers. And we don't, we don't really see that from year to year. So after that, I generally look at a couple of things. Yards per play margin – as long as you strip out the garbage time is a really good thing to look at. You know, 20% yards of play margin, you're probably winning by a touchdown or more, sometimes, you know, double digits. 30%, 40%, you're probably, you know, winning by the teens to 20s. If you're anything over like 50 or 60% yards play margin, that's that's pretty damn good. Your blowouts that are over with 30 minutes or 40 minutes like to go, that's usually about two or 300% edge. Like Georgia Tech Clemson the other day was – you know, was, was pretty huge. And then I look at like how many explosive plays each team creates. And, and I care about the number of explosive plays as opposed to just how big they were. Because again, getting back to things that are repeatable skill as opposed to what's not, we know that like creating explosive plays is more sustainable than creating like enormous explosive plays. There is a certain randomness element to your explosive play going for 80 yards as opposed to you know, 30 or 40. So if you can create a lot of explosive plays, even if in, in this instance they all go for just 20 or 30, if you're good at creating explosive plays, there's a good chance that in the future you will actually create ones that go for 50, 60, 70. So that, that's important. Points inside the uh, the opponent 40-yard line. Or if you want to just make it simple, how many points did you get on drives that ended in opponent territory on average is is pretty, pretty key because that's going to show you you're either scoring on explosive plays or you're scoring because you executed once you got down in the tight area. I mean, that those are, are kind of the two key things to look at there. And then I look at turnovers quickly just to see if there's anything weird, and then average starting field position, which is usually kind of affected by turnovers. And then I just try to quickly math it in my head, okay, they were 15 yards better on average starting field position, and they had 10 drives. Okay, that's 150-yard starting field position edge. That's, that's a pretty good one. Anything over 100 is something I take notice of. So I, I generally just try to – and I don't do all of these steps for every game. I try to just look at the score and then 
reverse engineer it until the score makes sense to me. And then I move on, you know, like that's, that's kind of how I work it. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. I think it's, a, I think it is, um, that's something I've, I've been trying to learn from you analytics types over the last few years. And I've, I've, it's been very helpful, um, in, in identifying and recognizing when scores can be misleading, uh, and, and sort of the, the, cut through the noise and find some meaningful takeaways. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really useful. Um, and then the other thing is sometimes if it still doesn't make sense to me, there's so many places you can go watch highlights of these games, YouTube, or, uh, you know, if you have YouTube TV, they actually, there's an option when you go to the recorded games, sometimes it'll just say show key plays and you can just kind of thumb through those until you see, Oh, wait a second. Here's how this happened. This was actually, a blocked punt or for some reason stat broadcast like the other night Barton and I watched the Michigan Minnesota game like we both actually had eyes on it and then when we were looking back through the box score we were like wait a second did they I thought they missed field goals you know and it was so the box scores aren't, aren't always perfect it's it's I don't think it's a substitute for actually watching games but let's be real here even those of us who work in the sport we're not able to watch 30 games in a weekend you know, I've got, I got like six screens going if I'm sitting in my office. I mean, I've got my three desktop screens. I got a laptop, an iPad, and I got the TV over my shoulder here. That's still like, it's a, it's impossible to watch all those games at one time. So like, you you do need the numbers, I, I think, to inform you, and then go back through the numbers and then through the highlights to try to figure out why something was the way it was. All right. So our last question is from T. Starzel. He wants to. He he wonders. If we see Bill O'Brien end up in a college, end up as a college head coach again, he did fairly well at Penn State, given what he was what was going on at the time, and he's a solid play caller. He also has the coveted offensive guy label. It seems as though he chances in the NFL will be pretty low, given that Watt basically openly torched him on the practice field. Can't imagine he will have a lot of respect of the players. In some ways, Bill O'Brien is probably a better fit in college because he strikes me as the type of guy that wants to be um, kind of a micromanager. You know, he wants to, he wants to affect and control everything. Um, But I mean, most of his background is NFL and it's bottom line is can he recruit? So I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit mixed on this one. I, I yeah. I think he'd be. A, I think he'd probably be a successful college head coach if if that was the path he wanted to take. I, I just I don't know that that's the path he wants to take. So you remember who he worked for before he was with Penn State? Belichick, right? And who has a habit of just acquiring former coordinators and coaches as part of his rehab school? And who has an office right. coordinator who might get a job somewhere? You know, soon. Maybe Butch Jones gets promoted to the Alabama OC job, and maybe Bill O'Brien is the next rehab candidate there in Tuscaloosa. And I, I agree with you. I I think that based on the comments of his players in the NFL, I think you're right. It's this totalitarian, control freak type, type thing to where you can do that in college a little bit more than you can in the NFL because the guys in the NFL have agents and families and contracts and they they kind of know where they stand as far as the balance of power between them and the head coach in college the players have far fewer rights for the most part although that that's changing a little bit um and there's a reason why we hear about these mistreatment stories 
coming out years later in college. And we really don't hear those in the NFL very much because you can't get away with that in the NFL. In college, there are situations where coaches say and do stuff that's, you know, pretty inflammatory or just have, like, I mean, you know, look, we, we saw some situations like that this summer. Uh, but yeah, I think he could be a better fit in, in college. Didn't he not love recruiting? I think it was. That wasn't yeah. that the deal. Yeah, just like every NFL guy. Yeah. That's why they're in the NFL. They just want to coach. They just want to coach ball. Not, not a lot of people love that recruiting side of it. And there's not a lot of Ed Ogerons and Mario Cristobal's out there. Those guys, they eat it up. They do. They do. We love them for it. That's what we do here at 24-7 Sports Recruiting and Football. And uh, we really appreciate you guys uh, subscribing to the show. If you're if you're one of the folks who's on the message boards, and I, I try to put the show on all the message boards that that uh, about the teams we speak positively, of course, uh, you know, on a weekly basis. If you're just waiting for me to drop it on the message boards, first of all, I appreciate you going to those boards and uh, and, and frequenting those sites. But in that player, there's that subscribe button. Hit us up on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever you guys like. We're growing the subscriber numbers. We want to get them even more. We appreciate all the help y'all have given us with the Apple Podcast reviews. And I, man, I enjoy doing the show. This is probably my favorite part of the work week. So let's go, other than you know, maybe breaking down, down the film and doing a recruiting meeting. But we actually have that coming up right after this. So we need to go. All right. We'll talk to you. See y'all.